The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome. For those of you who uh, haven't been here before, I'm Diana Clark, and this is my dear friend Tanya Weiser. And uh, we're teaching this class on the five hindrances. So just uh, I'll do a quick little review. What are hindrances? What are they? These are things that hinder. What a surprise, right? <laughs> what do they hinder? They hinder our clear- seeing clearly. They hinder our getting settled. They hinder our showing up in the best way that we can. They hinder our, our wisdom showing up. So what are they? There's, um, we can make this uh, kind of this gross generalization, but there's two that are about energy. One is having a lot of energy, restlessness, where you feel like you want to jump up and run away. And we covered that last week. And then today we'll do the opposite, kind of low energy, where you feel like you can barely stay awake or somehow don't have enough energy. And then there is um, one, there's kind of like a leaning into and a really wanting thing. So not being with what is, but always wanting something, so kind of a desire. And then the opposite, aversion, don't want something, kind of pulling back. And then the fifth one is doubt. Doubt is some hesitation, some confusion, not being certain of what to do or what's really happening, if you really want to be doing this. So these are kind of like five different types of hindrances that for millennia people have been talking about and have noticed that these are, we can put kind of the things that get in our way into one of these five categories. And so last week we talked about restlessness and uh, Tanya and I earlier were just chuckling a little bit. For those of you who were here know that we were there in the social hall and as it turned out there was um, a lot of sound coming from this hall and um, I don't know, it became a little bit... Uh, Tanya, you're smiling just thinking about it because uh, it was quite something to kind of work with. I was trying to lead a guided meditation while we were listening to somebody else do another guided meditation and it was kind of funny. But we were talking about restlessness. So we, um, for those of you who were here, we um, sent you away with some homework about... Um, to recognize what diminishes, what lessens restlessness. And even if you weren't here, I'm sure all of us have this feeling of restlessness, of you know, just not being able to sit still, wanting to go somewhere else, or having the mind spinning around and not really settling. And do you know of some um, activities that like, encourage restlessness, some either things that you say or things that you do? And what about um, your relationship to restlessness? When restlessness arises, are you filled with aversion which causes more restlessness? Or is this resignation, like, oh, here's this again, I can't do anything about it. So maybe with that as an introduction, we'd love to hear, whether you were practiced with this last week or not, just this idea of restlessness. But maybe before I go, do you want to add anything, Tonya? Well, since, um, am I on? The sound is, are the... I think it's the volume needs to go up a little bit. You can hear me? Yeah, it's on. As you think, it might just need to turn up a little bit. Okay. Well, I thought um, I, I got an email and it had this um, writing about um, what he calls action addiction is an advanced sort of laziness. And I wrote a couple of quotes or sentences from the quote that I thought I'd share. Um, it was written by Ramus Hogard and Jacqueline Carter. And um, it was several paragraphs long, but the first few sentences read, Action addiction is an advanced sort of laziness. It keeps people busy, preoccupied with tasks. And the busier we keep ourselves, the more we avoid being confronted with questions of life and death. And... Um, I thought, wow, that's so great. That's such a, a great reflection. And um, and I thought it might help 
kind of people connect with the energy and the things that get us going, right? All the devices that we have and the, you know, texting and the computering and the, you know, busyness of multitasking nature of our culture that we live in and we're surrounded in. Um, So I thought that might be kind of just a helpful thing to generate any reflections about this hindrance if anyone is... um, has anything they want to share? Um, <clears throat> I had a couple of comments and then a, a question. Um, well, I can see that what encourages restlessness for me is uh, listening to a lot of high energy music. Um, and also that's like restlessness and then for me reading too much political news uh, encourages like worry for me it gets my mind going Um, so it's interesting because I love music you know so I try to um, listen to like calmer music to kind of change the mood and I'm still struggling, struggling with uh, not reading political news because it's fascinating, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially these days. Um, but I noticed that um, exercise helps. Nice. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, exercise. I've started getting back into exercise, and I noticed that it helps with meditation a lot. I think one of the things about worry, like reading political news, is that it has its it's it's almost well I, I guess I relate it to the survival system the fight or flight system that that worry is really connected to the sense of scanning for danger and threat mm-hmm. and that system it automatically is kind of constantly scanning and if you have something in your mind like this political mess or this thing that's going on it's very easy for that system to get activated and for it to just generate the sense of I need to check what's happened now anything yeah. new what's going on yeah yeah, I had a, um, a question about something that stood out to me on the handout from last week. It says, um, using too much effort in meditation can also stir up the mind. And um, for me, it's kind of like a, truly an art to find the middle ground between not you know enough effort and too much effort. Something I have to experiment with, but I was wondering if you could comment on that. I think it, you said exactly the right thing. It's, this is an art because it's not like one amount of effort is always the right amount. It kind of depends what's happening in our minds and in our bodies. But generally speaking, a gross generalization, I think that as a rule, we often tend to over-effort our mindfulness. The sense of here's an object and i got to hold, pounce on it and hold it tight so that it doesn't slip away. But it turns out that that kind of like this applying of energy effort in this with this kind of implicit fear, I've got to hold it, otherwise it's going to go away, just kind of does fuel. It doesn't um, create the conditions for more and more ease and and does kind of fuel this sense of, oh, i got to do this, I should do this, I want to do this. It turns out that we can apply just a tiny bit of effort and just have just uh, be the mind to have just a, just laying on top of maybe like the object as opposed to like grabbing the object, if that makes sense. But it's definitely something to explore and play with. Yeah, uh, it's a uh, yeah. It's you know it's like an experiment. Yeah. Or uh, Gil's told me it's it's a process. Yeah. You know. And you're clearly connecting with that process and observing yeah because sometimes I get um, you know like I feel like I'm with my breath but then I realize that I'm like the mind is dull and I'm not really there yeah so it's kind of interesting to try to find the right amount of effort yeah yeah and you'll find it changes it's not like there's one right amount yeah it will it will vary it will change sometimes you'll need more sometimes you'll need less thank you yeah thank you thank you very much 
So maybe I'll shift and just, um, you know, so speaking of energy and effort, <laughs> the hindrance that we're going to talk about tonight is sloth and torpor. Um, so the last week we're talking about heightened, too much energy, um, and so sloth and torpor about um, low level of energy, low energy states, right? And so sloth is, um, both, both restlessness and worry and sloth and torpor have these two words because they are pointing to the energy states and how they impact both the body and the mind. So the sloth is like a sloth, right? The animal, a sloth. You know, the body, where the body slows down and is heavy, maybe feeling, and move. there's just not much energy. It's a low energy state. And um, we might feel lethargic, right? And torpor is the tar- term that's used to um, kind of describe the mind that has low energy, where there's a sense of dullness, fogginess, fatigue, right? Um, and torpor can also have a, a very peaceful or dreamlike quality to it. It can be quite seductive for some people. Some people really spend a lot of their life in a space of sloth and torpor that feels like equanimity or it feels like ease. Um, um, that the, the mind state, right, of that. And um, I'll flesh that out a little bit more, and you guys will have some time. For those of you who haven't been here, I'm just going to be doing like a short 10-minute overview of this hindrance, and then we'll be breaking into small groups for you guys to discuss sort of your own experience with these hindrances, right? And um, so just to give you an expectation of next, we'll do small groups. We'll come back as a large group. Oh, thank you, Diana. (laughs) Yes. Before we do the small groups, I forgot about Diana's beautiful (laughs) Bella meditation. Yeah, thank you. So, um, one thing about sloth and torpor or or hindrances in general is that we often can have a, a, a negative relationship with these hindrances that come up. They're very natural, normal states that come up and they do hinder our practice, they hinder our sort of experience of being connected and fully present in life. But there are also certain ways in which they're just natural states. And um, so sometimes it's, I'd like to highlight this idea that there's a useful form of sloth and torpor, right? There's a usefulness in the energy, you know, kind of slowing down in our body. Sometimes we really have been too busy, you know, sometimes the effect of having too much restlessness and worry is that we slow down and we start to feel sloth and torpor. Um, sometimes we're just tired and we need rest. And what we need more than anything else is to take a nap, right? Um, and it's really natural to become sleepy. This is not a bad thing, right? So we don't need to make these things enemies. It's not useful or helpful to make them enemies. And, um, and, and if, if we do, then what happens is if we find ourselves sleepy, then we start to get upset with ourselves for getting sleepy, right? So it creates a very negative feedback loop. So it's really, it's, it's helpful to know these things are really important to notice, but also um, how we meet them and relate to them will impact them greatly. Um, and, you know, sometimes we just we really do need to relax. We've just been doing too much. So um, hindering sloth and torpor is um, kind of one of the issues that comes up is it's the opposite of feeling alert, right? So we have dullness. So I had a great experience with sloth and torpor the last day or so. I've, been, I've had a very busy, intense period of time. And so I noticed that I did things like, this is to me the perfect mind of, of um, torpor, where I, I read an email, but I didn't really read the email. And it was about an appointment I had scheduled with somebody. And I read it that they were going to come at a different time, but they were actually canceling the appointment. And... And it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is really great reflection for me to see how my mind is 
not really, it's dull. It's not really taking in all the information, right? And so it's not alert. The mind is not alert. And so when we're doing sitting meditation and we have a dull mind and we don't know it, we're not really noticing what our experience is. We're not really fully seeing everything that we can see. We're going to miss a lot of our experience. Um, And another kind of hindering aspect of um, this is when we feel, kind of get seduced by the quality of ah, dreaminess. Sometimes when we're uncomfortable sitting or we're, you know, it just feels so nice to space out, right? Or to get dreamy-minded. It's, it's, there's something quite seductive about it. So that also hinders us. It can be nice and very pleasant. And we can even practice with it when we know that it's happening. But if we don't know that it's happening or we're just sort of feeling blissed out, we're actually really not practicing mindfulness. We're practicing dreaminess. Um, another way that this is described as, is as the sinking mind, because there can be this way in which if we start to go into the vortex of, ah, oh, you just sort of, it is, sort of has a feeling of sinking deeper and deeper and deeper, and your body will get heavier and heavier and heavier, and your mind gets foggier and foggier, you know, duller. Um, somebody else, Sharon Salzberg, calls it the ooze. And in jails, when they teach mindfulness to prisoners, um, they'll they'll they have this saying um, that is, is kind of I think a, a good way to think about this hindrance, which is prisoners might say, "An hour of sleep is an hour off your sentence," right? So, and that mindset, like, oh, I get to just space out, right, or I get to check out. Um, that, you know, mindfulness is pra- practice is precious. And usually we're not spending that much of our time sitting. And the goal is to be awake, to be present, to see, to see clearly. Yeah. So um, some of the causes of this hindrance um, are restlessness and worry, right? A lot of anxiety often results in our minds and bodies shutting down because we're feeling overwhelmed. It makes a lot of sense, right? It's just not, it makes sense. We're trying to, our bodies, our minds want homeostasis. They want balance. So if we overindulge in restlessness and worry, we're going to find ourselves on the other side of the pendulum feeling, you know, or we're likely to end up on the other side of the pendulum feeling too much tiredness, right? At some point. The pendulum usually swings back. And um, a lot of times when we try and do too much controlling, too much, con- too much effort in meditation, we'll tire us out. You know? um, it's also a habit of avoidance. So if, if there's something difficult that's going on for us emotionally or in our lives, um, this can really pop up as a way to kind of tune out, distance ourselves you know, cocoon ourselves so we don't have to face or feel what's going on. Um, you can ask yourself, was I, you know, was I, if I'm tired today, was I anxious and worried yesterday? Right? Just sort of, just check in about that. And sometimes it's just a habit. It's a habit that we have of soothing ourselves. So it can be a habit of, of sort of falling into this dreamy state. Typically, um, you know, it, it can come about when we're practicing and we're not quite right there with our breath. So our aim is off, right? And Or we're, we're trying to think about the whole meditation instead of this moment at a time, one moment at a time. And it also can come up when we don't really enjoy what we're doing. When we are, you know, we're not happy with the practice or we're not happy with what we're, you know, how practice is going. And the other issue can be too much focus on the, on time. When's the bell going to ring? 
you know, when's this over? What do I have to do next? And just getting really into that contracted mind state of a time, time-oriented thing. So low energy, fogginess. And this is not to discourage you. If you're meditating and you get into this kind of mind state and you recognize that it's there, it can be actually pleasant to know and observe it. And you can see there's an opportunity to to really sort of learn about the mind that's in this state, this state too. Um, And I think that also for me, what was really important um, about like today when I noticed that I was extremely just so much sloth and torpor, I could go and try and go out and go for a kind of a vigorous exercise. Or I could lay down and rest and then do a slow, easeful walking. You know, and so that there was this more of this slowly raising, the, first resting and then slowly raising the energy, letting the energy build slowly, not pushing myself. It's a little bit like, for me, quicksand. When you're in quicksand, the idea is if you struggle too much against it, you sink faster, right? But if you hold still, you don't, go, you don't sink as fast. And the idea is sort of try and just be patient. Give yourself time when you notice you're in one of these states. And, and move slowly to raise the energy, you know, gently, kindly, you know. And, and give yourself the space to observe maybe the conditions that might be facilitating the arising of this energy. So with that, would you like a guided meditation by our lovely Diana? Great. <laughs> uh, can I yes. What would, what would you have done if they had said no? Maybe um, I'll do a, a brief introduction. This guided meditation will be using this particular tool. It's this acronym called BELLA. B-E-L-L-A. The first letter B is the word B. E is for examine. L is for lesson. The second L is for let go. And A is for appreciate. I'll be guiding us through this. But let's start with an alert, upright posture. We'll just take three long, slow, deep breaths. This is a way to connect with the body. Maybe there's some relaxation with the exhale. Allowing the breath to come back to normal. Trusting that the body knows how to breathe. And we'll begin with a little bit of mindfulness and the sensations of breathing. That is, resting your awareness on the movement of the abdomen, the movement of the chest, or maybe the feeling of air going in and out of the nose. Whichever area feels accessible, feels vivid, feels supportive, just rest your awareness there. And feel, how does it feel, these sensations of breathing?
can just notice the movements in a very gentle way, in a kind way. you find yourself lost in thought, it doesn't have to be a problem. Just very simply, very gently, begin again. When our mind has drifted away, we just very gently bring it back. This is what minds do. Now it might be that maybe right now there's a little bit of sloth, torpor, tiredness in the body. If not, maybe you can bring to mind a time when there was. Maybe a sense of the wind gone out of the sails kind of feeling. Maybe a sluggishness or a dullness or kind of a fogginess. Maybe it's a type of an energetic collapse or a sinking feeling. If you're experiencing it or if you can remember something like this, can you just be with that experience? Simply recognizing and acknowledging the presence can be very helpful. It might be uncomfortable, but can you be with it without struggling? Sloth and torpor in some ways encourages us to disconnect from our experience, but can you connect with the experience of sloth and torpor? Now that you've connected, notice how it feels in the mind and in the body. Just maybe the body feels heavy, difficult to stay upright. Maybe there's a feeling of swimming in something gooey, (laughs) thick. How do you know when there's sloth and torpor? How is it experienced? Also as part of examining, 
can be just a very gentle inquiry. What what might be the, some of the conditions why sloth and torpor is been being experienced now? Perhaps our days are filled with stimulation. During meditation, the stimulation dies down. Maybe we're retreating from difficulties rather than arousing the energy to meet them. There were kind of a collapse in the face of them. Maybe there's an idea that this is boring. And there's an energetic collapse when things are boring. Maybe we feel disheartened or discouraged. But to see or to experience sloth and torpor and just notice that, oh, of course it's here. There's reasons. And then to lessen the sloth and torpor, you can arouse a sense of curiosity. How does it feel to barely have enough energy? Where do you feel that in the body? Is there an area in particular Maybe around the eyes, on the shoulders. Maybe it's diffused throughout the whole body. What does it feel like to have the mind kind of start to get drifty? Can you arouse some curiosity about that? Wow, I never really noticed what this is like never paid attention. So even though sloth and torpor may be a diffuse feeling, it can still be known. Maybe to help lessen and getting completely lost in the sloth and torpor. It might be helpful to do some noting practice. A little whisper in the mind. It might be a word like sloth. Or maybe it's a word like tired. Dull. Maybe you could note it with just a little more vigor than you might otherwise. Tired, tired, dullness, dullness, tired, sound. You can use the noting practice to kind of help just raise the energy a little bit. So use curiosity to connect. Use noting to kind of help raise the energy a little bit. And of course we can use the body as support. Sitting up straighter, putting a little bit more energy into the posture. Or maybe even opening the eyes just a little bit so that a little bit of light comes in. Some people even will stand up 
do meditation in a standing posture when there's a big sense of tiredness, or maybe do walking meditation. So to shift your posture in a way that can support your meditation. The second L is to let go. Can we let go of the idea that sloth and torpor is a problem? Let go of the idea that we can't be mindful because we're feeling tired. And instead bring some curiosity, connect, with our experience and maybe connect with a sense of purpose. Meditation, you've chosen to spend this time meditating. Can you connect with your intention, why you're doing this practice? The value that you see in it, that you feel in it. And then notice if there's a shift in the amount of sloth and torpor. Maybe there's sometimes more, sometimes less. Can you appreciate when there's a little bit more energy? And there's a little bit greater sense of vitality. Can you appreciate those fluctuations? Maybe there's a, sometimes a sense of being freed from this prison of sloth and torpor. Sometimes it can feel like it's holding us down. Can you appreciate when there's a little more energy, a little more clarity? Be, examine, lesson, let go, and appreciate. You don't have to use these in this particular order. You don't have to use all five. This can be a tool to support working with this hindrance. And then for the last few moments of this meditation, just check in with the body, with the mind. See how it was before we started. Check in with the energy, the mind. And then to end this meditation, feel the chair against your body, feel your feet on the ground, and when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Thank you, Diana. <laughs> so Diana sort of summarized the meditation at the end, so the B-E-L-L-A. So instead of restating it, maybe I'll just, do you, does anybody have any questions about any one of those components? B, right, E, examine, L, lesson, 
L, let go, and A, appreciate the absence. So the lessening, the letting go, the opening up. Any of those, anyone want clarification about any part of that process? Okay, yeah, great. Thank you. Um, thanks for that. So she mentioned during let go, let go of the idea that uh, sloth and torpor can, uh, I guess, impede mindfulness. But it, I, I thought they were sort of, seems like they're diametrically opposed. Do you want to respond? I, I think I said uh, that it has to be a problem. And I think that's what, maybe what you're referring to. And so the encouragement here is that, yes, it does kind of, uh, hinder mindfulness because we often get lost into the fogginess. But we can bring mindfulness to the sloth and torpor, then it's no longer hindering mindfulness because we're bringing mindfulness to that. We just make that experience be the object. Often what happens is we're having like the breath be the object, but we're having difficulty because there's sloth and torpor. But we just shift over and be mindful of sloth and torpor. So another way to say this is um, that if you're wearing sunglasses, right, and um, you aren't aware that you're wearing sunglasses, and it starts to get dark, it gets very hard to see, and you aren't really aware of why it's so hard to see. And it changes what you can take in. But if you know you have the glasses on, it doesn't have to continue to hinder. You maybe can't take off restlessness or sloth and torpor easily like you could a pair of glasses. But if you know that you have them on, you can accommodate or be clear about what's going on and why it's so difficult to see. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Great. Thanks. Yes. Thank you so much for the question. Very good one. Yeah. Anybody else willing to dare you dare you ask a question? Dare you feel safe enough to ask a question? I hope so. Yes? Yeah, the um we're recording, so thank you. Uh on lessening. Um lessening what was that again? We're lessening. Oh, just to lessen the amount of sloth and torpor. Oh. So, right, we don't have to make it a problem, but also we don't have to be passive either. Maybe there are some ways in which we can increase our energy. What well, what we um, what we do when we notice? So, first of all, the most important thing, right, is to recognize the hindrances here, right? Th- that it's present. Without this, we can't go anywhere. Right, but how we relate to the hindrance um, will make a big difference. So if we if we um, get upset about it being there, it tends to amplify, or exaggerate, or add another hindrance. Yeah, that's just the hindrance of aversion then that comes yeah. in. Yeah. So the idea is in the, the idea of lessening is to help us recognize how are we responding to the hindrance and what is the effect of how we're responding so i mentioned about for me i could have thought about going for you know an effortful exercise period to try and raise my energy right but that would have been too much for me because i was just really too wiped out and so if i would have done that i probably would have ended up more slothful and more tired, not more, more, you know, rested or invigorated. So it's important to notice how we're responding and then what the effect is, cause and effect, looking at the relationship between what we see and how we respond and then what happens. And so the guiding hope is we do things that are lessening of a hindering or difficult state. Thank you for your your question. Anybody else want to ask a question or remark on how the meditation went for you? What did you notice? 
it was uncomfortable oh. trying to get myself in that state of sloth or we're just <laughs> I could really feel it in the body and go ahead no I just kind of wanted to validate it it's, it's com- it's can be really uncomfortable and it also can be fascinating like often we're not looking at like okay what is the mind doing when it's clear and when it starts to like slip off and then get a little hazy and so like that and maybe it's okay maybe a person falls asleep and then oh wait I was asleep and then wow and then just kind of watch that process and can it's 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 natural, right? And we can just bring some curiosity to it as well as kind of allow it to be there. And I don't know, it takes some wisdom, I guess, right? We don't have to fight it, and yet we don't have to be passive completely about it either. So, Great. That's okay. I'm up. So this exercise has made, or just this discussion has made me realize how what an aversion I have to it. Mm. I really dislike it. Mm-hmm. I've never, I've never liked being tired. Like I sleep a lot because I hate being. I I can't function when I'm not tired, and I only I meditate in the morning because it drives me crazy to meditate when I'm tired. It just, like, often I just stop because it just I just don't like it. So now it's kind of interesting because I didn't realize that until right now about how much I, I really dislike it. <laughs> so anyway, something interesting to work with that I didn't even... It just interests me how big my aversion is and I never noticed it until now I just avoided it it's fantastic that you noticed yeah yeah it doesn't feel fantastic but yeah (laughs) so notice if you're having aversion to your aversion yeah definitely yeah definitely so is that lessening the hindrance of aversion or increasing the hindrance of aversion I think it's lessening it because now it's just kind of fascinating me because I just I realize too how much I structure my life to avoid it which makes me curious about it so I guess it lessens it so there can be some real wisdom right in getting enough sleep and enough exercise and eating well so that we don't feel tired but it's just going to happen though there's, there's times even if you are taking all the, doing the right things and you have you well rested sometimes this hindrance is independent of how much sleep we need right it's just coming up because it's a way of avoiding something or or we were just restless before as Tanya was saying or something like this so it's we can't so there's wisdom in taking care of yourself and also acknowledging that it may still arise Shall we move to the small group discussions? Great. So if you could make uh, form groups of three, or um, let's see, three, three, and one group of four. four. It'd be great. So go ahead and situate, move around the room. You might want to find, you know, one group up here and two groups sort of separated on the floor and just sort of make a little triangle where you're sitting together. And introduce yourselves. Okay, so if you can just take a pause. Thank you so much. You're already launching. This is awesome. Don't mean to halt your process. Um, And um, I also just really want to appreciate, I really heard people connecting and kind of sharing that if they've been here or not. And I, I hope that you will continue to connect in these ways. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, so what we would like to do is I want to offer you a few guided, guidance questions and a few practice guidance uh, tips. So what we'll do is I'll, I'll give you a question 
and then I'll have you one at a time respond to that question and you'll go in a circle and um, when you are speaking you get to speak freely for yourself you don't have to make sense to the other people so you don't need to explain things in a way you would normally where you feel like you need to give the backstory and the details and make sure everybody understands nope really this is for you so you only need to say as much as you need to say for your own clarity right and um, when you're listening listeners please try and just be receiving like receiving and noticing the impact of what's being shared on you Try not to be thinking about what you're going to say when it's your turn, but rather just sort of like practice uh, mindful listening and receiving of sound. And um, in that way, we'll make our way around so that each person in the group gets a chance to sort of share their reflections and you will have the benefit of hearing from others at one point or another. And that may shape and shift also what you have to share. So that's the nice gift of of sharing in this way. And in the group of three, um, when the other groups are doing their fourth person, you guys are free to just sort of um, share and reflect and um, go back around again too, right? So there won't be any separate instructions for you. So you can use the time as you you wish. Um, So the first question is just to kind of talk about the role sloth and torpor has in your life. Just, you know, spend about a minute and a half or so, each person, just just talking about what role, wh- how, how you see it, where it comes up. We already heard somebody give a very nice description of the role sloth and torpor has in their life. So, And um, let's have the person who is sitting closest to the outer hall be the first person to speak in the group, and then we'll go clockwise. I'll I'll let you know when it's time to switch. Okay? So please begin. So the second question is, how might these two different states, striving and complacency, so working too hard or kind of giving up, not having enough energy, how might those encourage the arising of sloth sloth and torpor in your life? And maybe where, where might that come up for you? So um, just keep going around in your circle and please begin. Okay, so if you can thank your partners uh, for kind of having this uh, sharing and let's come back to the main circle here. So now we'd like to hear probably just um, from a few of you. We'll just um, have a little bit of time here. How was that? What was that like to uh, meet in a small group and to talk about sloth and torpor, both its role in your life and the relationship of striving and the relationship of complacency to sloth and torpor? So you can talk about either the experience or maybe something that you learned um, by hearing yourself say something or maybe hearing somebody else say something. So in my group, Heather um, introduced a, a word next to complacency called patience. And it really um, got my brain going about whether or not there was, if there was a relationship between patience and complacency. And I think that there is. And it's hard to discern which one rules. But I think that patience is incredibly important in our lives. And I think that complacency is not but they are brother and sister. Yeah, I think from the outside they can look the same, right? Just this not uh, engaging in doing something. But I kind of think of complacency has a little bit of a feeling like, I'm not going to do anything. I don't feel like it. I don't think it's worthwhile. This kind of thing. As opposed to maybe patience has a little more, no, it's wise to wait or it's wise to hold out right now or something like this. So there's different um, flavors to them. So clearly there's a distinction in the two words, Mm -hmm. but our minds can get fuzzy on those two words very easily. I see. 
Yeah, great. Thank you, John. Hello? Hi. Uh, so in my group, again, with, uh, with John and, and Heather, um, I guess my experience was... And what is your name? Oh, sorry. My name is JP. JP. Yeah. Hi. My name is JP. Um, I wasn't quite sure at first what, what to really explain or talk about, and so I just kind of correlated my experience and, and listened to theirs in return, and uh, I felt that it was, it was interesting to hear what she was talking about in correlation to patients, and... I liked also how uh, I had the same feeling of um, procrastination um, uh, that we came across, uh, John and I came across uh, when discussing our experiences with, um, with sloth. Um, and so for myself, um, I guess I just, I was just really feeling, it's just kind of in the moment and being, really, to be honest with you. I don't really have a Great. technical explanation or anything. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my name's Heather. I was with these two gentlemen. I w- enjoyed the discussion and that we worked together and actually moved not quite with the bell, but with where people, where there was a lull, then we moved on. People spoke and... Um, so we did not, as a group, sink into any quiet, still spaces. Just let it flow. Thanks for taking care of yourselves. Uh, Hi, my name is Jeremy, and uh, the discussions were nice. I enjoyed them. Uh, One thing that I seized on was talk about balance, especially between complacency and striving. Um, I, in, in my life, it seems like I just go about everything, um, you know, just like up and down and in my head too, just from one extreme to the other, you know, um, it's like, I was trying to think of an example. It's it's maybe like a dog, you know, frantically looking around when it can't find its owner or its ball or whatever, you know, I'm not taking a straight path which I wish I could, but I'm sort of always at the mercy of how I'm feeling. And it's also nice to hear other people talk about what they're going through, um, just so I can kind of relate. And, and sometimes it can feel like, you know, everyone around me is like this this dynamo, mm. you know, who's not kind of experiencing the same stuff. So it's nice to hear. My name is Laura, and um, our group, we all appreciate naps. There's no guilt involved, no excuses, um, none of that. I mean, we're entitled to that. It's a luxury. It's a gift to oneself. Um, And we're not striving really for too much. (laughs) I mean, we're not in the rat race of trying to live in this area, live in the Bay Area, and and uh, drive the right car and, you know, work for the right company. We're all um, set in in a nice lifestyle. We're very blessed and lucky, so um, pays to be a senior citizen on, right? (laughs) April and I, for sure. (laughs) So anyway, it's a good talk. We had a really nice um, conversation with the four of us. I just wanted to add that I realized after, oh, this is April, after we finished talking that complacency when we, you know, go on vacation to Hawaii and then you just feel so relaxed getting out of the rat race of the Bay Area. But my relatives in Hawaii don't like it so much because they're too complacent. And so the ambitious ones come to the mainland to make a living. So it was just kind of an insight. I think it's um, oh, I'm Jordan, 
And um, I think that it's, it's interesting to hear, you know, everyone's kind of interpretation and their answer to the question. It's always kind of, you know, similar but different. And um, it's kind of eye-opening just to hear, you know, everyone's thoughts. Um, and I th- I find it, um, like how Jeremy was saying about finding balance with, um, you know, in the, like we always talk about the middle way, and it's like the finding, you know, enough energy, but not too much, but not um, too little energy. And um, for me, it's like I realize how much our daily lives, well, for me, it's like my, I kind of mold my daily life to create the conditions for better meditation, you know, and um, as I get more and more into it, I, um, it's like I'm invested in spending time doing this, so it's like I care more about do- doing it yeah. right yeah. or trying. <laughs> you said something so important, which is really there is a direct relationship between how we're living our life and what happens when we meditate. And to get to the point where we are actively changing our lives to support um, a, a more healthy mind state for ourselves, right, is, is quite a commitment. Do you want to use this? Or do you want to use this? I can use My name is Chris. One thing I noticed in the conversation is I think we all may have had subtle different definitions of complacency and striving. You could think of it as like on, off, active, inactive, or two forms of disengagement of different flavors, um, which is different than patience, which I think people who are patient tend to be very engaged listeners picking their spots. So I think that was sort of an interesting realization that... uh, I think it's easy to default to two definitions, which can take you a little bit off track, because I do think both striving and, and uh, complacency are two forms of, of being disengaged. Beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Do you want to say something? Yeah, it's okay. So first, I just want to really appreciate um, everything everyone shared. I really appreciate um, all the different pieces that you all contributed. I feel like it makes it a much richer experience and um, makes me feel like I don't need to say much, right? There's not much left to say. I have a few things I can add or just summarize, but you know, you, you have a lot of wisdom. We all have a lot of wisdom if we give ourselves the space and time to reflect, to explore how we define things. And... Um, you know, I think, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's, I just, that's really precious gift, really, that we're giving each other here. So thank you. Yeah. So I'm just going to kind of briefly summarize um, some of the key points um, and talk about um, some of the antidotes, things that we can do in response to sloth and torpor. So just sloth and torpor can be a type of energetic collapse when we're feeling overwhelmed, right? It's important to notice that. Succumbing to sloth and torpor can masquerade as self-care, right? So just noticing that too. Not doesn't mean it always is, but just just notice when we're actually indulging and indulgence means there's some harm to ourselves in some way versus self-care or self-compassion. And notice how just the simple practice of being mindful and investigating what's happening is enough to start to increase the available energy and awareness. Just the simple awareness and recognition and then curiosity are enough can be enough to begin to change and shift or lessen um, a hindering hindrance. Right. 
just want to encourage you again not to declare any of the hindrances or sleepiness an enemy. Right? It's, um, there's something important. They're a messenger. They came about for a reason. Right? So it's, when they arise, see if you can take enough time with a visitor to find out why, why they came. They came for a reason. And if you can start to connect with what generated it, you can start to look at like where maybe you have imbalance in your life or where maybe you've been avoiding something that's difficult for you to address. And then maybe you'll find an arousing of energy to more directly address things or shift the balance in your life. One of the things is, again, just to really simplify. And it's just one breath at a time. If you're tired, you just just take it one breath at a time. Right? And um, sometimes the perfect thing to do is take a nap. It really is. Yeah. Another thing that can be helpful is actually to cultivate or think about um, a moment of joy, a moment of gratitude, a moment of feeling blessed or connected. So if you're finding low energy states, arousing and connecting with loving kindness memory or a, a compassion memory or a happy joyful memory can also be enough just to lift up the energy or lighten and brighten the mind. And um, reflecting on your own goodness is also very supportive and helpful. Just even small acts of what you've done today. Being kind with each other here. Opening, deciding to take the microphone in your hand and speak. And, you know, it's brave. And it was a kind, kind gesture. And then finally, remember these are not who you are. They're not your defilements. Right? We all experience them. They are visitors. They're part of the human condition. There's nothing bad or wrong about you that you experience the defilements. Nothing wrong at all. It is part of being human. So don't, don't think of yourself as lazy or an angry person. You're a person that has laziness happen. You're a person that has anger that happens. This is part of the human condition, and we don't have to identify with them as if they are who we are, but rather as simply part of the condition of being a human being, part of our normal experience, and it's really in how we relate to them that we will find our freedom. Do you have anything you want to add, Diana? No. Okay, so maybe in closing, I'll say thank you. And then just uh, an encouragement, one way that you might want to practice with this uh, this week is to explore, investigate, experiment, play with the amount of energy that you use in your meditation. What does it feel like to be a little bit, I don't know, rouse the energy and kind of go from object to object? And what does it feel like to just be really relaxed? And can you modulate the energy? Or if you feel like you can't modulate it, just notice. What is the energy? Is it constant through your meditation period? Is it going down, going up? Or just to kind of bring some awareness to this role of how much energy you're having in your meditation practice. And with that, it's 9 o'clock. And um, I wish you all a wonderful evening. Tanya and I will be here for a little bit. If you have some questions, you want to come up and ask us. Thank you.